Well, good morning. First off, let me say thank you for all sitting in the center and sitting reasonably close. <laughs> so uh, it's great to be here. It's always great to be here at Doolin's Grove. You always make me feel like I'm home, and uh, so I'm so thankful for that. Appreciate the opportunity, Matt, inviting me. Uh, it really does mean a lot. So thank you for having me. And uh, if you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to turn to James chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses uh, 19 through 21. Probably a pretty familiar passage of Scripture to you. Um, I'd like to invite you that if you're able, uh, if you please stand as we read from the Word of God. So James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. Uh, it says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this place and for this time. We thank you for your word, that you've chosen to reveal yourself to us through it. That is an incredible gift. And so now this morning, Lord, I would pray that I would be neither seen nor heard. But I would ask that your word would be heard clearly, that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, minds to understand and hearts to obey. That this morning, Lord, that you would make your word through your Holy Spirit come to life. That it would live and it would move, that it would cut us, that it would change us, that it would conform us to the image of your son, Jesus. Lord. Now we just pray that you are honored, that you are pleased, and that you are glorified in all that is said and all that is done. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, you may or may not know that currently today there are about 900 different English translations of the Bible. Now, that's a far cry from 1526 when a man named William Tyndale translated the Bible into English for the first time. An act, by the way, he was ultimately executed for. We enjoy in America today unprecedented access to the scriptures. Yet what we find is that fewer and fewer Christians in America are actually reading their Bibles with any regularity at all. In a recent survey of uh, Bible engagement, LifeWay Research surveyed more than 2,900 Protestant churchgoers and found that while 90% desire to please and honor Jesus in all that they do, only 19% personally read the Bible every day. So there's a dangerous dissonance in the church in America and what we say and what we do, particularly as it relates to the Word of God. We say things like, we want to hear from God. Boy, I wish God would speak to me. I wish God would make this clear. But James says, God has spoken. And God is speaking. And he does that through his word. And we're to, and in, so he is writing this letter to Hebrew Christians who are suffering persecution for their faith. And he comes to a transition point in his letter. He, in verse 18, first brings up this concept of the word of truth. And is the word of truth, he says, which gave us life. That brought us forth from death to life. That we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And now he's going to go and talk about how that same word that gives us life and brought us to life will sustain us in life. 
Now, we want to remind ourselves that, again, James wrote this letter to Christians who were experiencing terrible persecution because of their faith in Jesus Christ. It's created all kinds of problems for them. And it had to create doubts, it had to create questions, crises of faith. They needed encouragement, they needed strength, they needed to hear from God. And James says, God is speaking, we must simply listen. In some ways, I think we can relate to these people, unless your life is perfect, and some of it might be, and your life might be going just swimmingly for you all the time, but we still face these same kinds of trials and difficulties and problems that are, that are really just inevitable in our life. And so we need that same sort of encouragement, that same sort of strength, and we can find that in the Word of God. James' answer here that is emphatic that our strength is found in the Word. That we have already experienced the strength of God's Word as it has saved us. Now we can still experience that same sort of strength and that same sort of power as we live in His Word every day. When the true disciple hears the Word of God, he or she will hear it with an affection for its truth and have a desire in their heart to obey it. But as powerful as God's Word is, as amazing as it is, as wonderful as a gift as it is, it won't work if we don't take it in. It won't work if we don't read it. It won't work if we don't hear it. It won't work if we don't do it. If we don't appropriate it, it is worthless. And so James is going to tell us here that we need to hear it. And he does this here by, in verse 19... A single opening phrase that means take note of this. It basically means, hey, listen up. What I'm about to tell you is really important, so pay attention. He wants his readers, and I think we can learn a great deal too, to pay attention because he's going to share five barriers to receiving, to hearing the Word of God. He's going to talk about closed ears, an open mouth, a defensive heart, Dirty hands and a big head. So first he talks about closed ears. He says, my beloved brethren, let every person be quick to hear. Quite frankly, one of the reasons we don't receive the word of God is simply because we're not listening. At the end of the day, that's the truth. And James says, look, we all need to be swift to hear. It speaks of a readiness to listen. It's what some people, I believe, um, I was a communication major, and they talked about the difference between hearing and listening. Hearing is physiological, right? You can't help but hear unless there's something mechanically wrong with your ears. You can't help but hear me now. But you might not be listening. I might sound like Charlie Brown's teacher. Because you're not listening. Listening is different than hearing. It is about asking questions. It is about probing. It is about saying, hey, what are you doing there? What does that mean? What are you saying? It is about asking questions and trying to understand things more deeply. Through the Christian community, we put uh, a huge priority on people who can speak. You have a great preacher here in Matt Broadway. But... Here's the thing. James here is shifting that. He's saying it's not about the preacher so much here. It's just about the listener. It's about the hearer. James says, be a good listener. 
Be a swift listener. The problem is our age will not go down in history as an age of listening. Adelaide Stevenson once opened an address to the students at Princeton with these words. I understand that I am here to speak and you are here to listen. Let's hope we both finish at the same time. I think in a lot of churches today, a lot of attendees this morning will quit listening well before the preacher quits preaching. There's a lot of reasons I think that we're not good listeners in our culture today. Um, we have a short attention span. You know, we live in the, the age of sound bites and Twitter. You know, just little blips here and there. I saw something recently. I don't know how they figure this stuff like this out, but that supposedly now the average American's attention span is less than that of a goldfish. Now, I don't know how they, how they could possibly figure that out, but we're not very good at focusing long-term on things. I think that is fair. Um, and we've never really been trained to listen well. We've never trained ourselves and disciplined ourselves because of that. We just, it's hard to do sometimes. It's hard to pay attention because we have all these, this competing noise, literally and figuratively. So we've never trained ourselves to do it because it's kind of hard work. And I think the other thing is we are encouraged to talk on every hand. You have a voice, use it. Everybody should have a voice. That's the beauty of the internet, right? The democratization of information, they call it. Everybody has a voice. Everybody gets to say what you want to say. And everybody deserves to be heard. And we somehow think if we talk enough, we're going to learn stuff. But the obvious truth is, in any field, I don't care what you're learning, you learn more by listening than you do by speaking. And we've got to learn that. We, we need to do that. We've got to be swift to hear God's word because it is more necessary than our very, than the food we eat, Job says. It is more precious than gold. It's a light to our feet and a, or a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We cannot live properly as followers of Jesus without the word of God. Period. So we should be eager for it. We should desire it, James says. Nothing, absolutely nothing should be more important to us than taking it in. And so we must seize every opportunity to hear it, to read it, to understand it, to know it. But regardless of how much exposure we get reading, hearing, knowing, if we are not attentive to what we see and hear and read and know, then it does us no good, James says. And so James shifts the responsibility to hear not on the preacher, but on the audience. I've heard people say this over and over again. I'm not being fed at my church. Or my preacher is just not very good. Or I don't get anything out of his sermons. Look, I may be a bad preacher. You can amen that if you want to. But maybe the reason you don't get anything out of my sermon, maybe the reason you don't get anything out of Matt's sermons is not because we're bad preachers, but because you're bad listeners. That's what we have to remember. James says, be good listeners. Be swift to hear. The bottom line is, if we don't hear God, it's not because He's not speaking. It's because we're not listening. And that moves James to his second point. Perhaps the reason we're not listening is because we're too busy talking. So that leads to an open mouth. He says, be quick to hear 
And next he says, be slow to speak. This is a proverbial saying. The rabbis at that time said that two ears are given to us, but only one tongue. The ears are open and exposed, whereas the tongue is walled behind the teeth. And as we'll see, an open mouth talking is not just about what comes out of our mouth, but it's also about what rolls around inside of our heads. James says, be slow to speak. He doesn't say, don't ever speak, because there is a time to speak, especially when it comes to the proclamation of the gospel. There's absolutely a time to speak, but what he's saying is be slow to begin speaking, not slow while speaking. But some people, a lot of Christian people that I know, me sometimes, we talk first and think later. I know people that there is no filter between here and here. Some of you may know people like that. Whatever pops here rolls right out. That's a dangerous thing, James says, for a whole lot of reasons. And so James is saying that our speech should be appropriate for the time and for the place. Now, it's possible James was referencing the situation of the early church, which would have been different than ours. Their gatherings together would have been in homes. They would have been more informal. And so there would have been a lot more chatter. And some people were probably taking advantage of that. When they should have been listening to to the leaders and the teachers in the church, they were piping up, giving their opinion on stuff. And he's saying that our speech should always be respectful. But when we talk, instead of listening, what we communicate to the other people is, I don't think your ideas are important. I don't think what you say is important. And when we're speaking, when God is speaking through His Word, through His preacher, they were basically saying, God... I got, you know, I appreciate the the gesture, but I know more than you. It's being disrespectful ultimately to him. Now, sometimes we do that, but not in this setting. right? I've been in very few church settings where anybody stands up and starts talking over the preacher. In fact, I can't say that's ever happened. I've been to some, some churches where people talk back to the preacher and they, you know, amen and stuff like that. But here's the thing. Right now, some of you might be talking while I'm talking. You're not doing it out loud, though. You're doing it in your head. Thinking, all right, when's this guy going to be done? We got started early, so we get out early. I got to get to lunch. You know, I got to cook out today. I got stuff to do tomorrow. I got to go to the lake and, you know, all these things. And so there's all this chatter, all this noise, all this talking while it might not be verbal, it's still going on. And it's distracting us from the words that are being said. And so James says we've got to watch that. The words in our minds can be just as great a hindrance as the words of our mouth when it comes to hearing the Word of God. Now, a special warning to those of you in here who might be teachers is in order. Whether it's in Sunday school or, or whatever... It's a great privilege and responsibility to preach and teach, but we should be cautious, patient, and careful when we have the opportunity to do that. We should definitely, as teachers, as preachers, should always make sure that we speak after we have thought it through carefully, that we are slow to speak, that we speak with great care and great patience and great study, making sure that we say nothing in God's name that does not accurately accurately reflect His Word. 
And a lot of times, and there's a tragedy, and I don't know, we live in sort of an age of, of Christian celebrity. And one of the favorite things we love to do in the church in America is we like to have some famous person come to faith in Christ. And about two weeks after they've made this public profession, they've come to faith in Christ, we have them on every talk show, on every uh, crusade, every campaign, every, every place they can be pontificating on the Word of God. Not just giving their testimony, but talking about things they are completely unqualified to talk about. James would frown on that. Scripture would frown on that. If we have the opportunity to preach and teach, it must also always be approached with some level of fear and trepidation and almost certainly preparation. But the problem, one of the problems with talking is that it often leads to conflict. As one writer has put it, ceaseless talkers may easily degenerate into fierce conversationalists. And that leads us to the next barrier for receiving the word, which is a defensive heart. Again, verse 20. It says, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. When we combine a lack of listening with a lack of restraint in speech, it will ultimately lead to ill-tempered action. James says that we are to be slow to anger. Again, he didn't notice he doesn't say don't become angry. Being angry is not a sin. He says be slow to anger. If you anger, anger rightly. Even Jesus was angry. The word here he uses for anger means an inner deep resentment that sees and smolders and is often unnoticed by others. It's an anger that can be inside and never really manifest itself outwardly that can keep us from hearing the word of God. And anger, again, is not a sin because, again, Jesus was angry. But it is an emotion that the evil one can use quite easily to tempt us, to try us, and to lead us to sin. James is, again, condemning this quick-tempered anger that betrays a lack of trust in God and a lack of love for others. And this anger can come in two forms, what I'll call outside anger and inside anger. Outside anger is the anger that, that others can see and hear. Often angry Christians distort the message of God. It's their right and what they're communicating, but the way they communicate it is angry. Now, there's a great example of this and what's happened in the last couple of months in this country after the Supreme Court decision that legalized same-sex marriage. A lot of, a lot of us as followers of Jesus, of people who believe in the authority of Scripture, have been upset by that, rightly so. But we have somehow let our anger overcome the grace of God's truth. We have been so angry and so hateful as we have proclaimed this and and railed against this that the truth was completely overshadowed. It was completely not heard. And James says, look, he says, understand that the your anger does not produce the righteousness of God. My anger does not produce the righteousness of God. There is such a thing as righteous indignation. And it is good and it is right. But my anger, my preaching at you, my preaching at anybody, my witnessing, sharing, writing, whatever, 
no matter how good I am at it, no matter how relentless I am at it, I cannot change you. I cannot change your heart. I can't change anybody's heart. And it's not my job. My job is simply to, with grace and love and compassion, proclaim the truth of God's Word and allow God's Holy Spirit to do that convicting. To allow His Spirit to bring people life. I can't do that. To bring people to righteousness in the words of James here. I can't do it. My anger won't do that. But God's grace can. So we must be careful in how we express ourselves. But there's also an inside anger that keeps us from listening to the Word of God. Because here's the thing about Scripture. And I think this is the reason a lot of Christians don't read their Bibles. It's because it's convicting. Right? Sometimes we read the Bible and we go, Man... I'm really messing this up. I'm not doing this right. Lord, I didn't realize that I was sinning in this way. That's uncomfortable. So the easiest way for me to avoid that discomfort is not to read it. Is not to hear it. Because if I read it and I hear it, because if we have this and we have the Holy Spirit, He is going to bring it to bear on us. He's going to bring conviction. He's going to bring guilt. He is going to bring shame. And those things are a grace from Him because they will lead us to forgiveness and life and righteousness and holiness. But sometimes we get so angry at the Word of God because of the way it convicts us that we shut it off. We won't listen anymore. We won't hear. Because it... Is so uncomfortable. Look, we like to have our own opinions confirmed. We like to have our own ways approved. We all like to have our own likes and dislikes be the likes and dislikes of others. Our self-will is supreme. And that can lead to a place where our personal hostility is rampant. And the spiritual danger can be enormous. And throughout the history of the church... People have hated the Word of God because of the conviction that it brings. But I believe it's equally true that there have been Christian people in churches who hate the Word of God for the truth that it brings. Because it brings that conviction that is so, con- just that conviction that's so convicting. Um, I need a thesaurus. Um, but you know what I mean? It's this, this idea that it just overwhelms us. If we continually are going to the Word of God and He is continually hammering on unrepentant sin in our life, it is very disconcerting, very uncomfortable. When the Word of God is accurately preached, we will find that it hurts. Hebrews, and it was just um, right around this, the Scripture that... Um, in fact, it may have been the Scripture you read this morning. Was it, Matt? Hebrews 4, 4.12. And it talks about the Word of God being living and active. And what does it say it does? It says it cuts us. It cuts us to the marrow of our bones. It cuts us to the quick of our being. I'm going to be honest with you. If you come here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and you are never cut, if you are never 
convicted, if you are never uncomfortable, there is something wrong with you. Because every one of us, when we sit under the authority of God's Word, it will at some point convict us. And that conviction will almost certainly be occurring constantly. Yes, it encourages. Yes, it uplifts. But if at some point it does not convict, we're not listening. So when we hear it, do we become resentful or combative or do we submit? Because if we allow anger to come in, the Word of God will not. Also, anger at others can be an obstacle to our listening to the Word. Sometimes we fail to appropriate the Word because we are angry at the one who is delivering it. You know, sometimes you're mad at the preacher. Maybe it's because you've seen a flaw in him. Maybe because you don't like the way he does something. Um, I've heard in, in some church situations getting so so bad that there would be people in, in a church that they would stay for the service, but when the preacher got up to preach, they would actually get up and leave the building. James says that kind of anger is deadly. You cannot hear the word of God that way. An angry attitude is not an environment in which righteousness will ever flourish, James says. It doesn't matter how angry you get. It doesn't matter how right your anger is. Righteousness will never flourish. And then James comes to the fourth barrier in receiving the word. Those are dirty hands. He says this. He says in verse 21, he says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. He says that unconfessed and unrepentant sin will keep us from hearing the Word of God. He uses two phrases to talk about that. Filthiness and wickedness. Filthiness might be understood as any sort of moral defilement or impurity. That's an interesting phrase he uses here. It's, uh, it can mean, and often does, a wax built up in the ear, which impairs hearing. I think it's a, that's particularly appropriate in this context, don't you? I don't know if you've ever had wax in your ears get built up really badly, but it will completely stop your ear up. You cannot hear at all if that happens. And James is saying, look, this stuff, this filthiness, um, this kind of vulgarity is another way of understanding it. It's going to keep you from hearing the Word of God. It's going to clog up your spiritual ears, so to speak. So you can't hear it. The sinful lifestyle works just like that wax. And James says in order to hear, we've got to clean that wax out of our ears. It's talking about sort of, in James here, this word, this idea of filthiness, is this idea of sort of the outward sinful things that we do. These lustful passions that we pursue, these worldly things that we go after, these things that are contrary to the Word of God. Now, again, what he's talking about here is unrepentant and unconfessed sin. Because we all sin. But he's talking about a sin that we're holding on to and we're not letting go of no matter what. And that that sin will keep us from hearing God's Word clearly. Interestingly enough, the psalmist also said that that kind of sin will also keep God from hearing us. But again, he talks about that. He talks about this outward filthiness of our lives. But then he also uses another word, the the word wickedness. And that speaks more of a moral evil or corruption in general. 
especially in regards to intent. He's talking now about what's in our hearts. Deliberate and determined sin. The, the hidden sins. What's in our hearts, what's in, what are in our minds, what's in our inner beings. Malice is an adequate translation of this. It speaks of a, a malevolent disposition that we could have towards other people. The King James has a really quaint, I don't know if any of you have a King James Bible, but it's a really interesting rendering of this. It it refers to it as the superfluidity of naughtiness, which I think is just a a phrase you don't use every day, which is kind of a cool phrase. But the superfluidity of naughtiness. It's unfortunate um, that naughtiness doesn't mean today what it meant then. Right, naughtiness today, we think of a little kid, you know, he's a naughty little kid or whatever, sort of this kind of benign sort of disobedience. But it was something different in that day. This idea of naughtiness meant wickedness. And this idea of superfluidity, it was an abundance or an excess. So really, the rendering of that is an excess or abundance of wickedness. But again, not an outward wickedness, James is saying, He's saying an inward wickedness, the wickedness that's in our hearts, the hate towards our neighbor, prejudice in our hearts, arrogance, pride, self-righteousness, greed, lust, the things that are inside, these things will keep us from hearing as well. And James says here, what we must do is we must take these things and lay them aside And James is here, again, painting a word picture. A word picture of having on dirty clothes. And taking dirty clothes off for something else. And that is the New Testament picture of what happens to us when we become believers in Jesus Christ. That we take off our old sinful clothes, our old filthy nature as fallen human beings. And we take that off and we throw it aside and we get a new set of clothes. Perfectly clean, perfectly white, perfectly righteous, the clothing of Jesus Christ. And so James says when you have this kind of wickedness in your heart, you have to take it off. You have to get it away. You have to throw it away. And there's um, there's even an, a sort of an energy to James's language here that he's saying do it as to get rid of it and never have anything to do with it again. There's a passion and a desire that is very great to remove those things. And this is a phrase that talks about our responsibility of believers to exercise our will in these things with God's help. To renounce anything in our lives that would come between us and the righteousness of Christ. That would come between us and hearing God's word. And the way that we have to do that, James says, is if we have unrepentant or unconfessed sin in our life, we must deal with it. Get rid of it. Then and only then will we hear the word of God and understand it. Progress in our spiritual life will never occur unless we see sin for what it is. And what sin is, is rebellion against God. It is treason. We talk about, oh, it's just a little sin. There is no little sin. Because all sin is rebellion towards God. All sin is treason. So we have to quit justifying it. We have to decide to reject it. And we have to take our evil habits and the evil in our heart and we have to get rid of it. Or we will not hear the word of God. 
Next, James turns his attention to one of the greatest threats, if not the greatest threat, to hearing and receiving the word. And that's a big head. He says in the second part of verse 21, he says, And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. James says that if we are to hear the word, we must receive it with meekness. It means mildness towards one another and is the opposite of wrath. I think it also means a childlike, docile, humble, and uncontentious spirit. The idea is that of selfless receptiveness, of great humility, the putting off of self as well as the sin inside ourselves. It includes the idea of being teachable. I wonder how many of us today are teachable. You know, we have a lot of people that have a lot of opinions. And we have a lot of opinions that have a lot of opinions about a lot of things in church pews. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that, except that when our opinions interfere with our ability to hear God's truth. Because God doesn't have opinions. God has truth. And so, when we think we know it all, it's hard for anybody to teach us anything. A number of years ago, um, I've taught Sunday school for a long time now, and um, I had this lady who was in her Sunday school class, and she quit coming. And so after she wasn't there for a little while, I sort of reached out to her and said, you know, everything all right, everything good. And she'd also sort of quit coming to church as well. And um, just, you know, checking in, how's it going? Her response to me is still kind of staggering. I asked, you know, why? And she just was straightforward as, as everything. She says, I can't learn anything else there. I've learned all I can learn there. I don't know what you say to that. <laughs> I'm still not exactly sure what you say to that. But it's just the way some people are. Well, they may not verbalize it that way. That's the way we think. What do you know? I got it figured out. That's how a lot of people in the pews are. We're so arrogant. And we think we've got it so just dialed in that we don't pay any attention to what God's saying through his word. Allowing it to correct our thinking. And so James says we've got to receive God's word with a submissive, gentle, and teachable spirit. We can't have any pride, resentment, or anger. No kind of moral corruption. So what about you? Are you submissive to the Bible? Do you listen? Do you do what it says? We've got to continually, James says, receive it, allowing it to direct and control our lives. And it really wants you to think about this question and be honest and don't answer out loud. What is the ultimate authority in your life? Who do you or what do you answer to? What tells you this is right and this is wrong? This is good. This is bad. This is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do. Is it your own wisdom? Is it your own desires? Or is the truth, or is it the truth of Scripture? If we have a big head, we will never listen to the Word of God, James says. Then finally, James comes to the key point, which is he says is that we must receive the implanted Word. The word he uses here 
is a Greek word. It means a welcome, welcoming or appropriating reception. It's the same word that Luke used to describe the Bereans' response to God in Acts 17.11, where he says they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures to find out daily whether these things were so. Paul also used the word to describe the Thessalonians, who when they heard God's word, welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. James says, this is the implanted word, the word that gave us life. This is the word that we are to receive. Now, James, if you don't know, uh, as far as we know and believe and understand, is he was the half-brother of Jesus. Um, They had the same mom and different dads. And uh, so he worked... uh, If you read James, if you read the book of James, you see a lot of allusions to things Jesus said. And so this is likely an allusion to Jesus' parable of the sower. This idea of planting and reaping and these kinds of things. And it's a powerful metaphor of our relationship with God. And he says it is the God that, that is implanted or deeply rooted in our hearts. That's where the Word of God should be. Deeply rooted. It shouldn't be superficial. But it should be deep down in our hearts. Completely consuming us. The base, the foundation of all that we are and all that we do. And it is the word that we didn't get. It is the word that we were given. You know, you there are people today who can, re, can tell you all kinds of cool things about the Bible. Oh, they have all sorts of insight, all sorts of knowledge. More knowledge than I'll ever have. And they are hopelessly lost without Jesus Christ. It is possible to have all this knowledge without it changing you, without it affecting you. Because God brings life to us through His Word. He gives us this great gift and He plants it deep in our hearts. And James says that we need to appropriate it, we need to listen, we need to hear, we need to obey. Why? Because it is able to save our souls. That's a pretty strong incentive to listening. He's referring here to our progressive sanctification, this constant growth in holiness, this constant growth in Christ-likeness. And James says that here that God uses the Word to make our salvation a positive reality in our daily experience. The Lord progressively makes us whole through His Word. It is the Word that brings us to life, And it is also the word that guides us in the life God has brought us to. We have been saved through the power of the word. And we are kept through the power of the word. And ultimately we will be completely and eternally saved through the power of the word. So kind of just to sum all this up. As both hearers and proclaimers of the word. We carry a great and weighty responsibility for the success of that word. For the fruitfulness of that word. Receiving the Word of God requires us to prepare ourselves in advance. We must remove the barriers to hearing it. Closed ears, an open mouth, a defensive heart, dirty hands, and a big head. And we must think about what the Word of God is and how very blessed we are to have it. And we must receive it with meekness and humility and teachableness. 
So when you have opportunities to hear the Word of God, whether it's on Sunday morning or Sunday school or through the week as you, as you read your, your Bibles, I would encourage you to pray this prayer. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Because we talk about wanting to hear from God, but God is speaking. And that really is the questioning. Are we listening? Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for just this amazing gift that you give us. You give us life through your word. You've revealed yourself in magnificent ways, in ways that are so deep that we can constantly mine it for the rest of our lives. And so, Lord, we just praise you and thank you for this gift. We pray that you will help us to hear it. You've given it. But now, Lord, help us to receive it and to receive it rightly. To listen as you speak. And to listen with an attentive heart and a heart that loves to hear your word, even when it hurts. And that we would be convicted when it's necessary, but we would see that as a grace and a mercy from you. And Lord, help us to remove any any sin in our life, even now. Bring conviction upon us. If there is sin in our life that we need to deal with, that we would deal with it. Remove all pride from us, Lord, all malice all the inward sins of our heart. And Lord, control. help us to control our tongues, to control our thoughts, and just to listen as carefully and as closely as we possibly can. For your word is able to save our souls. And for that, Lord, we praise you and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen.